Vincent Werbeck's Derby. It was our 16th wedding anniversary, um, uh, which, you know, that seems like a significant amount of time in, in my life. I'm, I, I feel that's, that's a good moment. I mean, pray for Anna. That's, that's a lot of suffering that she's had to put up with. And um, I was talking to my father-in-law and mentioned the fact that it was our wedding anniversary. He had forgotten that it was our wedding anniversary. And of course, the first thing he wanted to comment on wasn't the fact that we've had these 16 years of life together and the emotion of the day or anything like that. He wanted to mention how good his garden looked on our wedding day, because for him, that was the highlight. And he's like, oh, the garden. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it was good and it was impressive. Thank you. But actually, I think the 16 years has been more impressive than just how a garden Maybe it's just me. Okay, right. So um, today is a celebration day. And we like to celebrate, whether it's anniversaries. This time of the year is good for me because it's my birthday in May, wedding anniversary in June, and then there's Father's Day that comes up. So it feels like this is an amount of time that I get celebrated. No, not I get celebrated. That's not right. Um, that I get to enjoy. And, but we all do it. We all go through the calendar, the year, and we have different markers, different points of the year that we celebrate. This week, we also um, marked the 75th anniversary, if that is the right word, of, um, of D-Day. And there were some celebrations and remembrance of what has happened, that people fought for us to be free. We have moments in the year where we celebrate. And for Christians, today is a significant day. You might think that in the Christian calendar, well, we mark Christmas, and we do, and we go big at Christmas, and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and we have presents, and we stuff ourselves with turkey, and it's all good. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate when Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death so that we may have life and life in all its fullness. But today, today is Pentecost. Today is the birth of the church. It is the church's birthday. But it is also the day in which the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is poured out upon the people, upon the disciples who are gathered together. It is a significant marker in the church calendar, and it's a day to celebrate. So if you are not already smiling, you may now start, thank you Leah, well done, to smile. It's a good day. Pentecost was a Jewish festival. Uh, Pente, it means 50, it's the 50th, it's 50 days since Passover. And we know that Passover happened um, around Easter time. That's what they were celebrating when the Jews gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the moment where they were celebrating God passing over the, pe- the, Israeli, the Jewish people in Egypt, in slavery, that they then were able to release and get out of Egypt. That's the Passover. 50 days later, Pentecost. And the people were gathered together. As Christians, we celebrate it seven Sundays after Easter. Seven sevens, I believe, are 49. Some agreement with that, 49. So it's 49 days since Easter. That's where we are today, celebrating Pentecost. And this is tracked for us. This is measured for us. This is written down for us in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. It is going to come up on the screens. Um, And this is what happened that first Pentecost Sunday. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Perga, Pamphylia, possibly, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Let's be honest, it's weird. It is a weird moment. Seeing flames separate and come down and land on people, people speaking in random tongues, suddenly they've got like this download of an, they can speak in Cretan. Was that one of the places they were from? I'm thinking, yeah, whatever that language. They were speaking in different languages. This is weird. It is odd. It is peculiar. And these people stand there and go, what on earth does this mean? I want us to hold on to that question. We're going to circle around that question uh, this morning as we think about what happened that first Pentecost and what it means for us today. But let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Pentecost Sunday. We thank you for the birth of the church. We thank you for the pouring out of your spirit. And we want to ask you this morning, what does it all mean? What does it mean for us? So we ask that you will speak into our hearts and our minds. No matter where we've come from, no matter what nation we are from, what what we've been doing this week, what we've been thinking, what we've been seeing, what we've been experiencing, what we're juggling, what we're stressed about. Lord, speak to us. Let this mean something to us here today in Derby in 2019. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, it seems like one of those questions that gets asked a lot when you go to one of those things where you're having to introduce yourself to people, but what's your favorite film? Don't all answer at once. Shawshank Redemption, Fight Club, I wasn't expecting that from Andy Bond. Um, Okay, we've all got films that we we love, that mean something to us, that that we engage with. Some some films we think are just a funny, um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, that tells you a little bit about my teenage... uh, Anyway, um, we all have films that we love, we enjoy, they move us. From the simple to the silly to the more meaningful. And the emotional, the Shawshank Redemptions, the Schindler's Lists, the films that kind of grab hold, stories move us. That's why Hollywood spends billions retelling stories. 
It's because we love it. We go to watch it. We're excited about it. We took our girls to watch um, Aladdin this week. Um, if you haven't seen the new Aladdin, um, I highly recommend it. If you're a Disney um, nerd, you might not appreciate it quite as much because apparently it's different from the original a little bit. I didn't notice because I'd never seen the original and I loved it. Will Smith is brilliant. But we love stories. For us to understand what's going on at Pentecost, we need to understand the greatest story ever. The story that changes everything. It is the story of God. The story of God at work in creation and in humanity. The story of God at work in your life. This is not just some abstract story that happened once thousands of years ago. This is a story that lives on through us today. This is your story. This is the story that moves you, I believe, the most. The story that will change you more than any Shawshank Redemption, any Aladdin, any Ace Ventura. Definitely more than Ace Ventura. This is the story that changes everything. So for us to fully understand Pentecost, we need to start right back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. The story of creation. In the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter, the very first verses in all of Scripture say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was right back at the beginning of all time over creation. He was with God. He is God. The third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, takes chaos and disorder and creates order and beauty. The Spirit of God was at work in the creation at the beginning of all things. We move on, a chapter. Chapter 2 in Genesis. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through every single chapter of the Bible. Um, You will get out of here before uh, tomorrow morning. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word is the ruach. It's the word that is used for the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. It is breathed into the nostrils of the man. And the man became a living being. The Holy Spirit not only is taking disorder and and chaos and creating order and beauty, but the Holy Spirit breathes life into humanity. We are all living and breathing because we have the Holy Spirit. Breathing God's breath into us. The problem that happens at the end of that chapter is that we reject God. Humanity decides to reject the creator who loves us and who has made us, who is wanting to be with us, who is in relationship with us, and we reject him and we walk away. We turn in upon ourselves and we say, we want to do life. Now you've made us. Now we're living and breathing. We're going to do our own thing. Thank you very much. We have no need for you anymore. And so our relationship with God, our relationship with creation, our relationship with one another is broken and is fractured because of our decision to do this on our own. 
And so from that point onwards, God pours out his spirit upon specific people at specific times in specific ways for specific reasons. That could have been easier to say. And so you read through the Old Testament, you read through the story of God's people, and we realize that this is God pouring out his Holy Spirit on certain people at certain times. In Exodus chapter 35 and 36, we come across a guy called Bezael. Bezael, Bezael. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and gives him creativity and artistic talent. He's able to work with metals and precious gems. To create and design and to make a a dwelling for the Lord. A little bit like you, Ben. Then, in Judges 6, we come across Gideon. A weak and fearful man. But the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he becomes a mighty warrior. A little bit like you, Andy. (laughs) Samson. Samson, a man who uh, was gifted by God with, by the power of the Holy Spirit, extraordinary strength. I'm not going to say who that's like. Let's move on. And then, um, and then the Holy Spirit is poured out upon people to prophesy, to foretell what God is doing, to bring words of encouragement and judgment, to say what God is doing in the world of the people that is living. And in Isaiah... We read this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Isaiah, a prophet, God poured out the Holy Spirit upon him, anointed him so that he could bring about justice and freedom. Specific person. At a specific time, for a specific reason. Ezekiel, another prophet, he says this, I will give them an undivided heart and pour a, put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel, this prophet, he speaks that the spirit of God will take our broken hearts, our stony, cold hearts, and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that molds, a heart that loves others. This is the Holy Spirit at work throughout Scripture, throughout God's people. We move forward. Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus through the Holy Spirit coming upon her. Elizabeth, her cousin, Conceived in her old age by the power of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, her son. Full of the Spirit. To proclaim the way of the Lord. And then Jesus. Jesus himself. God incarnate. Is baptized. By John the Baptist. And as Jesus comes out of the river Jordan. As he lifted up out of the water, we hear these words, the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, alighting on him. The Holy Spirit falls upon Jesus to empower him, to 
prepare him for his ministry ahead, to give him strength and courage and boldness, to affirm in him his character and who he is. This is my son who I love and I'm well pleased. Jesus needed that. And so then Jesus lives. He lives and he breathes and he, and he walks around and he gathers 12 friends together and he says, come on guys, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you what it means to, to live for God. I'm going to tell you what it means to live spirit-filled lives, to, to live in the kingdom of God. This is what it means. This is where we do. This is how we treat people and love people and care for people and forgive people, heal people. This is how we respond when we're under pressure. This is how we deal with marriages. This is how we deal with our money. And he teaches and he lives. Jesus goes around and he heals people. He sets people free. He, he t- picks up the prophecy that was given to Isaiah and he claims it for himself. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to do this now. The, king, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The kingdom of God has come. This is now. We are p- proclaiming justice and freedom and healing. And because Jesus did that, people didn't like him very much. Jesus was taken to the cross. He was falsely imprisoned. He was falsely accused. But before he did that, Jesus said, Jesus promised to his disciples and to us the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better for you that I go away. In John 14, Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away and that the Holy Spirit comes. Another will come. An advocate, a helper, a healer, a comforter, someone who will gather alongside you and empower you and equip you is going to come because I am going to leave. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. Holy, set apart, other, different. And we were not holy. We were sinful. We were broken. We were people who were turned in upon ourselves. But Jesus, through his death on the cross, takes our place, takes our death, takes all of the wrath of God that we are deserving of, all of the separation from God that we deserve because of our wrongdoing, and he takes that upon himself into the grave. But the grave cannot hold him. Jesus defeats death. Resurrection happens. Life happens. Love wins. Jesus comes alive again. And because he does that, we can know that we are forgiven. That we are now made holy because of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit can come and dwell and live in us. And so as Jesus comes back from the dead... As he is resurrected, he lives amongst his disciples. They turn from being this ragtag bunch of people who are fearful for their own lives, who run away, who've disappeared, and suddenly they see Jesus. They are changed. They are confident. They know that everything has changed. Their lives are completely different because Jesus has won. Resurrection has won. And he lives amongst them. And he shows himself over 40 days. He kind of hangs out with them and he says, look, I'm really real. I'm alive. And he proves that to them by eating broiled fish. Whatever broiled fish might be, that's what the text tells us. I think fish is not pleasant at the best of time, but broiled sounds disgusting. That's how he proves to them, look, I am real. I'm alive. I'm right in front of you. In Matthew 28, Jesus is taking the disciples up the mountain and he says to them, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You've been my disciples. I've taught you. I've lived with you. I've shown you what it's like now. You've seen me alive. Resurrection has happened. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded. What's fascinating is the order of that. Baptize people first and then teach them to obey everything. Because they then get it. They're part of the family and they can now work out to live out what this looks like. So the disciples come off the mountain. And in Acts chapter 1, we pick up this story. Acts is the second book of kind of Luke's gospel, if you will. Luke is the first uh, kind of... Uh, Book number one is all about Jesus from his birth through to his resurrection. And then in Acts, Luke writes again, look, Theophilus, he's writing to. In my first book, I told you about all the historic events that happened at his birth, at Jesus' life. Now, let me tell you about the life of the church. And in Acts chapter one, we pick up the story. Verse five, Jesus says to them, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke about in John 14. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus teaching his disciples just at the end. These are his last recorded words. Baptized. It means to be submerged. It means to be drenched. It means to be kind of poured out upon you are going to be drenched in the holy spirit that's what's going to happen to you now of course his disciples get a bit weird at this point and they start asking random questions they can't quite fully understand it yet and they're saying well are you going to restore the kingdom to israel at this point and jesus goes oh hang on a minute you're still not quite getting it so it's not for you to know the times and the days and all that type of stuff but verse eight you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Two promises. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. This is the story of God at work. The Holy Spirit poured out so far on individual people for certain things at certain times. Now suddenly Jesus saying, you will receive power. Just wait in Jerusalem. The Spirit is coming. After Jesus says that, he ascends. And we have, a, uh, in the Christian calendar, that another day that we celebrate is the ascension, that Jesus goes up into heaven. And then we have this time when they gather together. If we read on into verse 12, it says, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk. And it goes on, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer. They all join together constantly in prayer, which is why we've been doing this week of prayer 24-7 between Ascension and Pentecost, because this is what they did. This is the story of God. They gathered together constantly in prayer between Ascension, Jesus going up into heaven, and then the Spirit being poured out. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came. The wind, the tongues, the speaking different languages, the fire weirdness happens this is the story of god this is the story of the holy spirit being poured out upon his people amazed and perplexed the people stand there and say what does this mean 
So Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, described as an ordinary, unschooled man. In Jewish days, if you were schooled, it means you had gone through the rabbinic tradition, you had learned the Torah, you'd learned stuff, you'd been like the best of the best, you'd studied well, you'd be the really bright ones. If you were unschooled, if you were ordinary, you probably weren't that bright. You were kicked out of learning and told to go and learn a trade. And Peter, an ordinary, unschooled man, stands up. After we, so what we picked up, they say, what does this mean? They say in verse 13, some of them made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Let me tell you what this means. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, proving that Peter did not go to university. No, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. And Peter, this unschooled, ordinary man, immediately takes them back into their scriptures and say, look, this was a prophecy from Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Old men, young men, women, servants. The Spirit of God is poured out upon everyone. It is for all. It is now no longer just for specific people at specific times. It is for everybody. We can prophesy, have visions, dream dreams. This is now for all. You can all be drenched, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes on to give what is possibly the single greatest sermon ever given. I've got to be honest with you, when I finish preaching, I get excited if you can remember it at the end of my sermon. If you can remember it on Wednesday, then I've done really well. But for Peter, at the end of his sermon, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. He explains that the spirit is being poured out. And why is the spirit being poured out? Because Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, this man who came and lived amongst us and lived and breathed and taught us and showed us and healed and set people free. This man who you crucified, speaking to the religious leaders of the day, you said he was, you wanted to get rid of him. You chose to say, no, we don't want him upsetting our way of life. So kill him. This man who you crucified was and is the Son of God. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. And he did not stay dead. Peter picks up David. King David, in the Jewish world, he was like one of their heroes. He was their main king. He was someone from history that they all regarded and loved to know. And he said, look, even David is dead. His body is decaying. There is a grave. You can go see it. But not for Jesus. Jesus has defeated death. He is alive. And because of that, the spirit of God is being poured out upon all of us. 
Verse 36, he says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, the second question. We always need to ask the first question, what does this mean? And then they asked the second question, which we also always need to ask. Brothers, what should we do? What shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that. Repent. The Greek word here is metanoa. It means to change your mind. It's kind of to turn your way of thinking around from thinking that life was going this way to going that way. From from thinking that I I can do life on my own, that I'm all good by myself. They're saying, ah, no, I need need God in my life. I need God. I I want his power living in me. Change your way of thinking to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. That is what this means and that is what we should do. And 3,000 people are added to that number. 3,000 people. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? I want to suggest that Pentecost means you are loved. You are loved more than you could possibly ever know or ever imagine. It means that you are not alone. It means that you do not have to do life on your own, fearful of everything, making it in your own strength. You have worth. You have infinite value to God. What does this mean? This means that you have purpose and meaning. It means that there is hope. It means that you have power. It means that you will be God's witnesses. You will be telling the story of Jesus to other people. It means that you have the God who created everything living in you. You can have him here. You can be drenched, filled refreshed by God. It means that God speaks to you, that he wants to speak to you today. It means that you can prophesy and have visions and dream dreams. That's what it means. Why would we want, why would we choose anything else? Seriously, I... I cannot imagine doing life without the Holy Spirit living in me. I know my weaknesses. I know that life is not going to go well if it's left up to me to do it on my own. Why would I want to do that? When you have the Spirit of the living God living in you. Would you rather choose a life that's powerless on your own? What should we do? What should we all do? We should all repent, say sorry, turn our way of thinking back to God for the times that we mess up. We should all be baptized. 
And if you have not been baptized, we would love to baptize you. We have a, we have a crazy goal to baptize 100 people by next Christmas, Christmas 2020. If you have not been baptized, we would love to baptize you. But we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, on Pentecost Sunday, and each and every day of our lives, so that we can live out our lives full of power, full of God's Holy Spirit, full of the living God living in us, the story that changes everything. Sounds to me like if we start doing that, if we all allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to choose him, that sounds like an authentic community, which is Christ-centered, that might just play its part in transforming this city and beyond.